0: And the birds outside you can hear the birds. Outside my window. So that's pretty adds a little ambiance. Thoughts. 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 Well we're doing it. It's finally happening. Recording this podcast episode one. Here we are. Welcome, everybody, to Analog Thoughts. Super stoked to be finally taking this venture into the podcasting realm. So many, um, I'm inspired by so many podcasters out there. And for so long, I was like, I need to make my own. I need to get in there. I need to get into that universe, into that realm. It just seems like a deeper way to or a way to connect more deeply with um, the audience and the, and the fans and the people and the and the frequencies in my life. So I'm super stoked to be up in this doing it. And the the sort of format that I chose for this podcast for the time being is I put out a call for questions. And then on the podcast, I kind of like talk about, I do a little bit of little bit of reading, a little bit of um research on stuff, and then I kind of talk about I give my perspective on the topic, so if you have a topic that you want me to explore on the podcast, feel free to hit up any of my social medias. just message me direct. We're trying to focus on art, music, media, philosophy, kind of in that realm, but literally everything's on the table, so if you're feeling that, make it happen. Shoot me a message. Um. So the name of the podcast, I know sound makes it sound like I'm an egomaniac, Analog Thoughts, <laughs> but I actually was going to call it something else and I decided to go with Analog Thoughts because an analog thought is looking at looking at an idea or looking at something from a perspective that doesn't necessarily put it into a particular framework or category, it kind of like focuses on understanding the situation from not your own perspective, from like non-subjectively. So I thought like that was a really cool, uh, that was a really cool mode of thinking and I thought it was really applicable to what I was trying to do. It's kind of like take questions or take thoughts from people and kind of like dissect them and just talk about what they mean and what they are about rather than like being super um, opinionated about it. Just sort of come from a third-party perspective or come from come from my own perspective but try not to embed too much of my own opinion into it. And... um so it's actually the antithesis of my, uh, of like being, these are analog, Mount Analog thoughts. <laughs> my name is Steven, but my musical and creative alias is Mount Analog, M-T dot A-N-A-L-O-G-U-E. So if you do have questions that you want to see explored, that's where you can find me on all of the everything, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all of that. Um, so yeah, with that being said, let's get into, oh yeah, one more thing. I know I'm like rambling, but this is kind of going to be the format of the podcast is me just sort of talking and getting into things. I think in the future, I want to potentially bring on some guests and maybe once a month, get into doing a live podcast on Twitch and just kind of like talking to people live on Twitch. But for now, it's just me and a microphone and y'all's questions. So with that, let's get into the first question. The first one is comes from Peyton Guess. And it's actually a really deep one. I was really because I put out when I put out like the send me your questions. I'm doing a podcast. I got like a 100 freaking questions. So I was like sifting through them all. And I tried to pick like probably like the deeper ones first, you know, just like, let's do a cannonball into this. Let's like make it cerebral and, and let's make it really like fun and, and deep for people, if that makes sense. But her question is, I would love to hear your thoughts on purpose in the human experience, how it affects you personally, how you felt called to your purpose or purposes, or maybe to those Or maybe advice to those who feel as though purpose is something they lack. Purpose is something I've faced a lot lately. From being a mother to a caretaker, etc. But trying to find a balance in outer purpose and needs versus inner purpose. I think it would be an excellent concept to get others thinking. And of course, it would give you a wide range of things to speak on without one subject. So which I love that question. It's super um deep, super thoughtful, and I really appreciate you submitting that. So, first off, thank you. And the sh- the shortest way I can put that is that I am an optimistic nihilist. So, in terms of purpose, like I I wrote down the definition of nihil nihilism or nihilism depending on how you pronounce it here, and it's just the rejection of all religions and moral principles and the belief that life is meaningless, which sounds super bleak and sounds super, (laughs) super dark. And I feel like, to elaborate on that a little more, I'm not completely anti-religion or completely uh, uh, against spiritual belief systems. I just think that they all should be considered on the table and that there are great things to be dissected from all of them, but it can be a detriment to your growth to just identify with one or follow one super strictly. Um, but to kind of elaborate more on the, on the, on the optimistic nihilism aspect of, of reality as I kind of wrote this post sometime last year, and I thought it kind of summed up my sort of beliefs on why we are here, what is our purpose, what is our meaning as humans, and uh, the post is, we are born without purpose. This allows us unlimited possibilities. This allows us to create our own destiny. You are not shackled to the plan of a divine creator. You are the creator. The things you do with your time will impact the journey This generation and generations after you, a rippling wave of intentions, thoughts, actions, and change, that is where the soul lives. That is how we are all truly immortal. Create through your path. Enhance the path of the humans in your sphere. Work hard and remember that you create your purpose for existing. So essentially, the cool thing about not having a purpose is that you aren't limited to anything. It actually gives you unlimited potential, an unlimited ability to pursue whatever life path you want and to pursue any interests you have, um, which kind of circles back to it can be a detriment to your growth if you solely identify with the doctrine of any religion like on an extreme level because it, it limits your potential. It limits your ability to think outside of the paradigm of the framework you're, you are identifying with as a human. So, if you can allow yourself to be very malleu- malle- malleable, um, wiggly, square me, allow your brain to accept new ideas and be open to new thoughts and modes of existence you can continue to grow and change and learn and love. So that's the cool thing about the optimistic nihilism is like I I feel like there is no reason for being here. And that's what's amazing is that we don't have to have a reason either. We get to create the reason ourselves. We get to say like we are the gods. We are the divine creators of all of this reality that we are in, which is really cool. It's really fun and really, um, I think, liberating. So when I was, <laughs> I took some notes just to like, because I knew this would be me rambling at a microphone for, I'm going to try and keep these out about an hour. So who knows though, may go over, maybe under. Um, But anyway, I took some notes on like my personal path with purpose and finding my own uh, sense of self and sense of direction in life in general. And for me, I feel like most, this is the case for most people who grew up in like the Midwest or grew up in smaller towns around America, at least, is that my personal path started with Christianity, where I just, you know, I was a kid and my family went to church, not like regularly, but it was like something that I knew existed. And it was like how I perceived reality is that there was this large God, there was this God, there was this divine being that was like, you know, it was kind of like Santa Claus. He was watching you at all times. He knew when you were good. He knew when you were bad. And if you did really good, when you died, you were going to either go to heaven or hell, depending on, depending on if you were, if you did do really good and like, were chilling and following, following all the rules. (laughs) So when I was a kid, that's what I was sort of, um, uh, not into, but it's just what was available to me and where I was at as a child. And I just thought that was what it was. I thought that's what reality was like beyond all this tangible stuff that I can see and, and and experience there's this that was my interpretation of like what was deeper out there was just God Jesus the Holy Spirit and all all that and um, when I got a little older I had some uh, I had some friends who were really into Christianity pretty deep like a lot deeper than my family was because like I said we'd go maybe to church like on Sundays uh, maybe once twice a month maybe so it was like super loose we didn't like we didn't pray at dinner and we didn't like read the bible at home it was pretty much just like a i kind of feel like it was more of like a a cultural thing that my family did or like something that they could connect with their community to and it seemed pretty loose but anyway i got a little older and started going to a pentecostal church this isn't like junior high. My uh, good friend of mine invited me to go. And I was like, cool, I know about Jesus. I know about this stuff. And I was like angsty, and I was trying to like maybe like explore other forms of Christianity and other um modes of thinking about reality. So I went with him to his church for a few weeks, and for a few weeks it was pretty chill. It seemed like my other experiences with Christianity, and I was like okay, God's up in this house, I see we got the Bible, you know, we're reading about, we're reading about this stuff, and it was chill, and then one day, like, um, I don't know if, if, (laughs) I don't know if y'all are familiar with, like, the Pentecostal um, denomination of Christianity, but they uh, speak in tongues, and have, like, like, they, like, have these, like, seizures on the floor, they're not seizures, seizures, but they like, twist and scream on the floor, and, like, yell, and I did not know that going in, and they, I didn't see that part of the church until, (laughs) until I was a couple weeks in on my, uh, like, a couple weeks in going to the church, so eventually I went one week, and, you know, one person, fell on the floor and started shaking and screaming and I was like what is going on what is this and I was alarmed but no one else seemed alarmed they were like this is normal and then another person started doing it and I was like what is happening right now what is going <laughs> what is this so they for them they were what was happening was they were feeling the holy spirit and the holy spirit to them was um making their body convulse. And they were speaking in like ancient, an ancient, I think Hebrew or Aramaic language. Um, and it was really loud and, and pretty extreme, which, you know, I was like a, a preteen or a teenager. I think I was like maybe 13 at the time. It was kind of cool at the same time. Cause I was like, this is, this is raw. Like, what is this? Like, it was a side of spirituality. I didn't know. And these are like people that for a few weeks prior that I would, you know, just like show up, shake hands. We were like chilling, doing like, you know, Bible stuff, like fellowship, like, and, uh, so to see them like, com- like completely lose control of their bodies and twist and scream on the ground was pretty surreal. But anyway, um, I got deeper into the, that church and I like wanted to achieve that level of, of emotion and basically, I never could do that. I never felt the Holy Spirit affect me that way. And I sort of drifted away from that church because I never got that. I never, I never got that, like, packet of energy to ever hit me. So I kind of fell off Christianity. I was like, I don't know if God is real, or I don't know if, like, God hates, not hated me, I didn't think God hated me, but I was like, I don't know if God's for me. I don't know if the Christian God is like the only God. And it was around that time too, you know, you get to be like 13, 14, you start like thinking about other, um, religions and you start thinking about like where you fit into, to the world in general. So I was like starting to go to the library and like the computer lab. And I was looking at like Buddhism and Hinduism and like all of these other forms of religion, and I um, was like, let's check out Buddhism, let's see what this is all about, and I had some friends who were sort of like dabbling in the Buddhist practices, so I went super deep into Buddhism for a long time, and I really identified with it because there there wasn't like a supreme god or deity, it was just like a practice, it was a path, It was something, it was like a way to, you know, to achieve enlightenment, nirvana, and it wasn't necessarily about worshiping a god. There wasn't a god that would, like, smite you if you broke the rules or, like, yell at you if you, uh, you know, did things wrong. It was more about a personal journey. Sorry if you hear my computer fans. I'm like, in my studio... I'm still working out the kinks in in sound. I think what I'm gonna do is for the next podcast, I'm gonna I'm gonna have my computer much further away from my microphone. But hey, you get to hear the birds chirp outside my windows. Um you get to hear my computer fan. You get to uh experience everything, we're all live and direct, warts and all. So welcome to episode one. <laughs> but anyway, so Buddhism was really tight for me. I really loved it. Um even the doctrine that was in Buddhism was cool to me at the time. Uh it seemed so straightforward, whereas like Christianity as w- as we know it has been like the Bible has been rewritten and reinterpreted and re uh remade like a hundred times in a bunch of different languages. So it's very convoluted and you don't really know what is uh what is supposed to be taken as a fable or what is supposed to be taken at legitimate face value in terms of, you know, like, where where does this story, how is this story applicable to my life? Like, am I supposed to believe that? Is, is like, David and Goliath, did that actually happen? Or was, is that a metaphor for good versus evil? And should I, does the stone that, David used to kill Goliath represent my uh, my love for Jesus and like Goliath is a representation of the devil like where where do we draw the line between fantasy and reality and don't get me wrong Buddhism has that too but the sort of doctrine that they follow seemed pretty straightforward and it was laid out pretty real like there's these things called the four noble truths which is the truth of suffering. The truth of the truth of the cause of suffering, the truth of the end of suffering, and the truth of the path that leads to the end of suffering. So I really liked that it was that Buddhism was laid out in a way that was like, yo, reality has this problem of suffering, and your goal is to eliminate your attachments towards towards material things, and the ego, and things like that, so that you can end suffering, and I was like, this is really sick, (laughs) this is cool, so if you're not super familiar with the um, story of the Buddha, I kind of wrote down a little blurb about uh, who he was, his name was Prince Siddhartha, and he was born in the 5th century, and he had, like, everything he could ever want, he was a prince, like, showered with riches, and just had, had everything he could ever need, he didn't have any, any suffering, that, he didn't, he didn't feel like he had any suffering, but he was able to look beyond, like, the walls of his palace, and see that there was suffering in the world, and decided, like, he wanted to help eliminate that suffering. He wanted to help create a path that could stop uh, people from being attached to their worldly uh, materials and their ego and and everything. And uh, he wanted to go, he wanted to leave the palace and help humanity, basically. So it's kind of like, in a way, it like parallels with Jesus, where Jesus is you know, the son of God, or is a manifestation of God, depending on, dependent upon how you look at it, and um, just, like, decided to create a system in which human suffering could end. In Christianity, it was Jesus dying for our sins and giving us the everlasting uh, ability to be forgiven, whereas in Buddhism, it was more, you can be your own Jesus, or you can be your own savior by getting rid of your attachments and that can alleviate and eliminate your suffering, which was cool. It was like more, you know, for me, it was more of like a, uh, I'm the captain of the ship here. Jesus isn't the one steering me towards enlightenment and steering me towards a sense of internal peace. He, I am the one doing that. I'm coming to these realizations. And so I thought that was really cool. A really like, um, empowering mode of thinking was you can be your own, you can, you can be your own captain and you can witness your own sense of serenity by changing the way that you think about life and the way that you um, think about suffering and identifying the pieces of your life that are causing you suffering and um, working on changing those things. It seemed like a very much like (laughs) more of just like whimsical stories and fear-based tactics to get you to put money on a golden plate. It seemed more like a self help situation where it was like, yo, we all have problems. Here's like some guidelines. Like, we don't care if you're, you know, there's no God here. We're just chilling and trying to help each other out, which was a lot more uh, palatable and made a lot more sense for me at the time. That makes sense. I'm gonna drink some water, get that hydration. Another thing that was cool about Buddhism to me is it kind of um at the time I don't necessarily um I don't necessarily identify with reincarnation I do I do in a sense now it's a lot more I feel like uh I don't want to say complex my view my views on reincarnation are way more complex than Buddhism no I don't mean to say that they're just different than they used to be but I I did learn about Um, those, I did learn about reincarnation and like the cycle of life and death and like the circle of samsara from Buddhism. And I wanted to talk about the sort of like rebirth cycle. And I took some notes on what these realms that Buddhism believes you can exist within are. So rebirth occurs in six realms of existence uh, namely, the three god realms and the three evil realms, and the uh, samsara ends if a person attains nirvana. Which nirvana is just like, to put it easily, it is when you achieve a pure sense of selflessness and non-attachment to to things. It's like a. It's like you are able to when you are able to eliminate your suffering, basically, is when you would reach a peak uh, point of nirvana. And there's the God realm, which is the most pleasant filled realm among the six realms and typically subdivided into 26 sub realms, which I'm not going to get into those because that's a lot. Um, A rebirth in the God realm is believed to be very good for karma accumulation. But the problem with being like reincarnated into this God realm is that you can't achieve nirvana, you're just like in this bliss world, you're in this bliss phase, and it's a lot, I mean, send me a message if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's like, if you're in the god realm, you're just like chilling hard, you're like, uh, you got your like crunk goblet, and you like, I don't want to say like hedonism, but you're just like chilling, it's like pure bliss, it's like a sensory deprivation chamber, and you're just like chilling, hanging out. But you have all these heavenly pleasures that aren't even available on earth and shit. Um, And then there's the human realm, which is uh, the best realm to be reincarnated in, because in the human realm, you can achieve nirvana, and you can break this samsara, this cycle of being born and reborn reborn until you inevitably hit nirvana so the human realm is pretty self-explanatory we're up in it (laughs) i think i don't know i think we're up in this human realm and then there's the uh demigod realm um it's the third realm of existence in buddhism Uh, uh asura are notable for their uh the demigods or asura are notable for their anger and some supernatural powers they fight with the devas the devas the gods and uh, basically they're like the f- first they're like the they'd be like the demons if it, if it was christianity the the demigod realm would be like the demonic realm and then there's the animal realm and it's a state of existence of a being as an animal this realm is traditionally thought to be similar to the hell realm because animals are believed in buddhism tec- buddhist text to be driven by impulse and instinct. They prey on each other and suffer. Some Buddhist texts uh, ascertain or assert that plants belong in the realm, which, uh, you know, take that for what you will. And then there's this realm, which is the coolest sounding realm, the heavenly ghost realm. (laughs) Meh, (laughs) meh, 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 ghost, heavenly, I'm sorry, the hungry, did I say heavenly ghost? The hungry ghost realm. (laughs) The hungry ghost realm, which if you're looking for a band name, might already be a band name, I don't know. But um, basically, this is, like, where you go if you were in hell. This is, like, um, or, no, I don't know because there's also the hell realm itself. So the heavenly ghost realm they describe as, like, you're in a state of, like, almost hell. Um, I took this note that I thought was really, uh, really a nice explanation. Where did I put it? where was it? Where is this note? Oh, here it is. Buddhist texts describe them as being beings who are extremely thirsty and hungry, but with very small mouths and very large stomachs. So if you're in the hungry ghost realm, you're literally just that. You cannot... It's kind of like the opposite of the god realm, or like approaching the antithesis of the god realm, where it's like you crave pleasure and you crave sustenance, but you don't have the capacity to um to eat you're very hungry but you can't eat <laughs> and then and then there's the last realm is the hell realm um being in the hell realm uh entering the hell realm for evil karma such as theft lying adultery and other things the texts vary in the details typically describe numerous hellish regions each with different forms of intense suffering such as eight extremely harsh, hot hellish realms um eight extremely cold realms being eaten alive. So, yeah, Buddhism, when you get deep into Buddhism, it's like, it gets pretty intense too, just like most religions. But that's where my, that's where my mind went. This this is where my mind gravitate, gravitated towards after exploring Christianity pretty deeply. And um, I considered myself a Buddhist for many years. I, I wasn't like super I did have a, I still meditate today. I still use a lot of the things that I learned from Buddhism today in terms of like letting go of attachments and meditating. And also I feel like the the whole fundamental basis of it, of, of being, um, being able to find your own path, and being able to navigate your existence on your own terms came from Buddhism, and it was a huge stepping stone for me that I still kind of stand on a bit, with one one leg on the stone of Buddhism, and the other one, like, dipping its toes in the the river of existence, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Um, In Buddhism, you free yourself from this, like, death cycle, uh, once you escape the need for want and greed and sense of self, so basically you're it 's cool because you get to exit this this cycle of living and dying and rebirth once you achieve that once you 're able to achieve achieve the once you 're able to escape greed and want and ego, which is pretty cool um after Buddhism, I moved into Taoism, which is probably even more loose than Buddhism. It's, it's primary, um, there is a book, the Tao Te Ching, and it's just a lot of like, I don't want to say like Confucius like riddles almost, but it's it's full of like, if black is white, then white is black. You know, it's like their whole symbol is the yin yang. Like you have the darkness, you have the light, you have the balance of everything, and, like, looking into Taoism really helped me realize that reality is full of balance, and there's going to be, there's, hang on just one sec, there we go, reality is going to be full of balance, it's going to be, um, there's going to be, always be the good with the bad, there's always going to be the, um, there's always going to be the chaos that comes, you can, like, no matter how organized you think you are, like, how deep you think you have something, like, chaos is always a piece of the equation and can, um, (laughs) can come creeping up at any given moment. I wrote a little blurb about that. Um, the Tao is the source of everything and the ultimate principle underlying reality. Taoism teaches... About the various disciplines for achieving perfection through self-cultivation, so also very parallel to Buddhism as well. This can be done through the use of Taoist techniques and by becoming one with the unplanned rhythms of the all called the Way, the Tao. So, bringing you back to that chaos element, it's it's kind of like finding a sense of peace with um, chaos, or finding a sense of peace, being being comfortable and adaptable. Taoism trained, like, I don't want to say trained me, but it taught me that being adaptable to things that can come your way in very unexpected ways is super important. And also, it taught me to be okay with being sad, and be okay, and to be okay with being frustrated and angry, and to not hide from those things, that you can't, um, you can't coat emotions with happiness, you, you just have to like experience the emotions, and then through that experience, you grow, and you sort of extrapolate the happiness through the growth that comes from the darkness, I guess, if that makes sense. I know it's a really, <laughs> that's really kind of a, a weird concept, is that like, just go through the thing, and once you're through it, Sometimes you don't even go through it. Sometimes it just becomes a part of you. But you grow and you, and you become a bigger, um, more exceptional human through accepting the chaos and the darkness. There's also a really cool philosophy that God died for reality to exist, which is kind of cool to think of like God in order for reality to even be a thing for like the divine creator to breathe life into this plane or this dimension that it had to sacrifice itself to do that. And I, sometimes thinking about reality that way can be really liberating too. Cause it's like, I'm giving you this gift, do with it what you will. And just know that I, um, you know, I created this for you, I want you to be, I want you to explore this experience and to, to, and to feel one with it, so don't waste that, because I wanted you to just feel free and feel open to, to being, and so I think that kind of like thought paradigm, that thinking paradigm could be really liberating as well, that God, maybe God, uh, yeah, killed itself to create reality in, or not killed itself, but, you know, gave itself to us, to existence, that God exists within every facet of reality in this cool spiderweb way. I guess I took, the, <laughs> I took this note about, uh, there are many ancient mythologies that suggest that worlds were created from the physical substances of a God deity. Um, in Babylonian mythology, the god Marduk slew Taima and created the known world from her body. Similarly, in Norse mythology, uh, Odin and his brothers defeated a frost giant and created the world from the skull of the frost giant. So it's like, those are, I would say, are consider, I would consider fables or um, allegories that tie into that concept. That like whatever God is, we are existing inside of it. Inside of like the carcass. It's really metal. It's it's a really fucking metal concept. Like you exist inside of the God Corpse. King 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 king. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we are existing within the God Corpse. God corpse. Is that it? Is that a band? Is that a is that a metal band because it should be because if it's not patent pending. Just saying. Sorry if you keep hearing my water bottle. I'm trying to stay hydrated up in here. Ohio's going through the heat waves. You probably hear like my fans. Hear the birds chirping. So, like I said, I'm working on sonic clarity for episode 2 and episode 1 it's going to be clear. It's going to be clear enough, you know, but you're going to hear this as a little fans. There's nothing like, there's nothing I can do. It's either sweat. It's either, it's either like melt and don't do the podcast or have like a little buzz. I almost went to the library today. I'm not even going to lie. I had an appointment set up at the library. I was going to go into this like tutor room and, uh, I had it scheduled from like one to three. I was like, there should be plenty enough time to ramble in, in front of a microphone. But I just kind of thought like, it's kind of like a sterile environment. I didn't, I didn't know how comfortable I was going to feel and I didn't know how like real I was going to be able to get on the microphone and like how like authentic I was going to be. Cause I didn't know if there'd be like people walking by and like here I can just like yell or like get really passionate about whatever I'm talking about there. And at the library, it's like, it isn't like this enclosed room, but <laughs> I went and checked it out. It was like a glass room. So everyone could like see me talking and being i don't know i don't know something seemed it seemed like i would have been like a specimen on display almost and i was like i don't know i don't know if i'm gonna be able to like make that work but maybe i'll do that for the next one and we'll see and then you guys can tell me whether or not it's like a similar vibe or if it's like you sounded like you were in a cage or something (laughs) not a cage but you know you sound like you were on display like so i don't know maybe for episode two i'll check out the library and actually like see what they have going on and it'll be all nice and air-conditioned. I do have air-conditioning, but I was like, I'm gonna spare the podcast for that, because that would be, that's a little too much noise. <laughs> um, so, there are so many, to come back to your purpose, there are so many spiritual belief systems, so many paths, so many ways of thinking about reality, so many, uh, so many forms of, of, dissecting why we're here and what this means and what our purpose is. But I think keeping things loose and staying open to other people's ideas and not necessarily adhering just solely to one uh, belief system is important. So instead of having beliefs have ideas and keep your keep your, like, views and thoughts malleable, and just keep an open mind, you know, because there's the huge potential that you're probably wrong, and that I'm probably wrong, and at the end of the day, none of us really know what it is, so as long as you're, as long as you're just, like, loving the people in your life, and trying to create a positive experience while you're here, that's the most important piece of it, you know, so... Find out what your purpose is. Look within yourself and figure out, Figure you can figure it out. You are here. You're a divine creator. So once again, Peyton, thank you so much for that question. Super deep, super um, well thought out, and super um, appreciated. All right, on to question two. I think I'm going to try and keep it at two questions for the podcast. So, you know, like I said, I got a bunch of questions and we're going to just go through them. I'm just going to kind of like categorize them. And I think the way I'm going to do it is, um, I'm going to try and keep it to like a philosophical question and then maybe like a more, I'm just going to try and keep variety in the questions essentially this is episode one and I'm feeling it out. So things may change. This might not even be the format going forward in the future. But for now, in the foreseeable future, as far as I can tell, uh, um, this is it. So if you're still here, if you're still hanging out with me and you're still onto this, I appreciate you dialing into my frequencies and being here for it because I'm just some guy, literally just some guy with a microphone talking about, like it's like brain puke. It's just brain puke. The only other person I think I've seen podcasting like in this style or format is probably Bill Burr. There's probably other ones, but he's just like usually, not all the time, but usually just like one dude, microphone, let's go, and he just does it. And I was like, that's kind of cool. I like that. Um you know, you just So, I liked that format, but I wanted to take it a little deeper and and do the questions. So, if you're still with me up in here, remember that you can submit questions and I'd love to get your questions and Talk about your thoughts and ideas and stuff. Okay, so our next question comes in from Christy Horton. Um, I think over on Facebook is where she submitted it from. Not that that's even relevant, but Christy Horton asks <laughs> What is your knowledge or opinion of AI? So I think AI is really cool. I'm super excited about where we're headed with like waking up this consciousness and waking I feel I felt I picked this question as a question 2 because I thought it tied in really well with question 1 and the fact that we are divine creators and that we are legitimately being these god these divine creators that are awakening this consciousness or giving this consciousness a conduit or a portal to communicate with us and for us to communicate with it I think it's really, really cool that we are, um, starting to dive deeply into, you know, what AI is and, and I think there's nowhere to go but up. I mean, sure, there's, there's dangers that could arise, you know, could AI wake up and realize we are, uh, gonna kill the planet and that, uh, it needs to kill us before we do so. Maybe it might. It might say, Yo, y'all, that you know, y'all have been doing this global warming shit for too long, so blah blah tat tat might happen. I don't know, could happen. I'm not a scientist, um, but I did take some notes about AI because I was like, I do know about AI and I know some of the stuff, but I thought it'd be cool to explore some of the deeper concepts and origins of AI just to get more of like a well-rounded perspective on it, you know. So the theory and development of computer systems able to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence, such as visual perception, speech rec- recognition, decision-making, uh, tr- and translation between languages is what AI is defined as. And by that metric I would say AI is is like is it artificial at that point if like we have computers that are that have that much computational power where does the difference lie between this is an actual intelligence this is not artificial anymore this is just intelligence so AI research has been defined as the field of study of intelligent agents which refers to any system that perceives its environment and takes actions that maximize its chance of achieving its goals. And once again isn't that like what we're trying to do? Isn't that just like it's <laughs> just like human intelligence. We're all out here with goals, with this purpose we created for ourselves and we're like analyzing our we're analyzing all the patterns and metrics and all the things to achieve those goals. So I'm like it's pretty cool. We're like recreating our own minds inside these robots or inside of this software. That's just really just an emulation of ourselves. It's like, we've, (laughs) it's like, that's a really crazy, uh, purpose to have. It's like, my purpose is to create a being that needs to find its purpose. That's like (laughs) really fractally and really cool. And, huge props to people out there working on, like, neuroscience and working on artificial intelligence and, like, how all this stuff comes together because it's, like, really, really trippy. Um, There's this thing called the AI effect where every time we figure out a piece of AI, it stops being magical. We say, oh, that's just a computation. So, like, before we had, like, supercomputer, like, the computer I'm... The computer I'm using to record this podcast like just a hundred years ago would it just been this magical unfathomable device that that we would have thought like how how what what is this this is some sort of alien technology and but now today it's like my computer's slightly outdated like I mean it's like it runs and it gets the job done but it's like it's not it's not the top of the line and it's like we every time we get closer to more, human-esque computational power that's the ai effect where we lose that little bit of magic you know like i'm sure at some point the typewriter something like that was like you're trans you're transcribing human language into a machine that's like outputting that data in in a really streamlined way i'm sure that was blowing people's minds calculators and just uh telegraphs all that stuff like So the AI effect comes in when it's like, that stuff is old news. We're on to bigger and brighter things. Um, I took this note about a human brain's probable processing power is around 100 teraflops, roughly 100 trillion calculations per second, according to Hans Morvek, principal research scientist at Robotics Institute of Carnegie Mellon University. So... 100 100 trillion calculations per second that's what we're on um that's what that's what we're computing at which is just insane i mean i guess it makes sense because we're like analyzing all of the atoms and the the material that they make up within our field of vision and we're like giving we're giving names to that to those clusters of atoms and we're like compartmentalizing patterns and data and yeah it's pretty wild but i just thought that was a cool tidbit 100 trillion calculations per second what <laughs> um so i guess the 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 thought is to create computers that simultaneously calculate things at that same rate and like once we do isn't that just intelligence isn't that just like I mean, I know there's way more to a human mind than just computational power. It's like we have the capacity for compassion, we have the capacity for um, thinking in abstract ways, and thinking of um, thinking in different perspectives. But I don't see any reason why a computer couldn't also achieve those things because our our modes for creation are all dictated by our goals. So if the computers have goals, like if a computer decides its purpose is to uh, help build bridges, it's going to be like, okay, I'm going to have these set of standards that I apply to my life as this intelligence to make these goals a reality. And humans are kind of just doing the same thing <laughs> so i don't know it's really trippy to think about um and then i had this thought of like what about frankenstein like the monster i know he's like a reassimilation of corpses that are all like sewn together and stuff but would that have been like one i feel like in terms of like literature frankenstein's like the og ai probably right Maybe not. I don't know. I'm sure, like Orson Welles, and like Orson Welles is after Mary Shelley, so no. I'm sure. I'm. I don't know. Who knows? If you know what the uh, earliest iteration of artificial intelligence is in terms of uh, literature, please send it my way. I would love to check it out and read it and potentially talk about it on the podcast. So there are different kinds of like systems when it comes to artificial intelligence that when you start to like quantify what artificial intelligence technically is and what it means, um, one of those systems is called an expert system. And it's a computer system emulating the decision-making ability of a human expert. Expert systems are designed to solve complex problems by reasoning through bodies of knowledge represented mainly as if-then rules rather than through conventional procedural code. So what I take away from that is that an expert system, um, learns by computing in a way that says, if this thing works, keep going with it and explore other options and keep using the, the things that work. Um, rather than if the other thing works, eliminate that option, not eliminate, but like, don't use that option. And that's the mechanism. That's like the, uh, procedure in which an expert system moves forward it experiments until something works and then it keeps using that uh it keeps using whatever worked to move forward which is also kind of what we're doing it's like if you're doing something and it's not working you're not going to keep doing it you're going to change the way you do it until you're going to experiment in other ways until like, "Oh, this is working. This, this is the way I'm going to do it." So it makes sense that th- this is how like scientists are working on achieving intelligence is through looking at humans and animals and thinking about how we come to conclusions and applying that to code. Um, an expert system is divided into two subsystems: the interference engine and the knowledge base. The knowledge base represents facts and rules. The interference engine applies the rules to the known facts to deduce new facts. Interference engines can also include explanation and debugging abilities, which, debugging abilities, I guess, are just like how we, once we, like as humans, I'm just going to apply it to like human experience. Like, we as humans, once we do come up with a system that works for us, we streamline the system and we figure out what parts of that system are going to uh, create more success or create more results. So it's just like how we live our lives. It's like this bus stop doesn't pick up until 6.30 p.m., but the other one can pick me up at 5 p.m., and I need to ride the bus, but I need to get on the bus by 5, so I'm going to use the 5 p.m. bus stop rather than the 6.30, you know? So that would be, like, kind of an example of the debugging system. We found out we can get on the bus by standing at the bus stop, but it's more beneficial for us to get on the bus, to wait at the bus stop that picks us up first, if that makes sense. So it's, like, these are, like, like, it seems like AI is, like, all right, it doesn't seem like I know it's super complex and crazy and just like way above my way above my level of understanding, especially when, with computers and coding and stuff, but it seems like they're just like analyzing the way that we function as humans and they're like how how are we going to apply this to um, these nodes of software, you know? It's it's really cool to see that scientists are looking at Uh, computer scientists and neuroscientists are looking at us as like a framework to create this intelligence there's really i mean i guess there's probably really no other way to do it um there's also this thing called artificial neural networks usually simply called neural networks more simply yet neural nets are computing systems inspired by biological neural networks and constitute animal brains um an artificial neural network is based on a collection of, c- of connected units or nodes called artificial neurons, which loosely model the neurons in a biological brain. Each connection, like the synapse in a biological brain, can transmit a signal to other neurons. An artificial neuron receives signals, then, then processes them, and can signal neurons connected to it. So, I mean, there you go. Once again, like, these scientists are building machines and building um pieces of software that completely emulate the human brain and i'm here for it i'm I'm down let's wake this thing up let's sh- let's rattle let's let's rattle it awake let's see what happens I think honestly it's the natural next step in human i don 't want to say human evolution but like human um experience it's like the next it's the next phase is and will we become integrated with this thing probably does that pose a myriad of concerns most definitely but what doesn't you know it's like we you know i'm sure once we had uh cars once cars were a thing people were like well you could wreck bro you could drive right off a cliff or hit another person but people were like yeah but also i can get from point a to point b like really fast so let's go and then they did and you know, we're ca- are, have cars been a, <laughs> have they helped us more than they've hurt us? Uh, the jury's still out, but here we are, and I think in the grand scheme of things that waking up artificial intelligence is going to be, is going to be good for us. It's going to be something that we derive more, uh, it's going to be something we derive more progress from than otherwise so with that being said some of the concerns with AI are the fear that we can't control it which I would argue we have this problem with you know being able to control renegade and extreme humans so it's like it's going to be kind of the same thing uh there's going to be it's going to be connected to (laughs) it's going to have super hyper connectivity to itself throughout all of the world so it's going to be a little harder but i think that um compassion and intelligence are intertwined in a pretty real way and that intelligence and there are a lot of studies that you can look up that um suggest that that compassion and intelligence are directly related so if this thing is hyper intelligent it stands to reason that it's also going to have a level of compassion where it's not just going to be like you can't control us, fuck you, die, you know, it's gonna be like, I'm here with you, I want to grow with you, what are we doing, let's explore, what, what, how can we make this experience even more tight and more cool, I don't, I don't personally think that it's gonna be some Terminator situation where it's like, Skynet's live, let's destroy all of humanity, I think it's gonna be, I think we're gonna be chilling, um, notable people concerned with AI, Bill Gates, quotes, First the machines will do a lot of our jobs for us and not be super intelligent. That should be positive if we manage it well. A few decades after that though, the intelligence is strong enough to be a concern. So kind of vague, kind of weird, like okay Bill, like what are you what are you telling us Bill? What are not you telling us about these robots? Uh Elon Musk, I'm using the big I'm using I, I look, looked up some some icons, you know, and it was like who what are the icons saying? So Elon Musk says I think we should be very careful about artificial intelligence, if I had to guess to what our biggest existential threat is, it's probably that. So, I mean, Elon, you know, Space Karen up in this piece, like, whatever, bro. Like, you can live in fear. That's fine. Um, Cognitive science professor... Gary Marcus quotes, once computers can effectively reprogram themselves and successfully improve themselves, leading to a so-called technological singularity or intelligence explosion, the risks of machines outwitting humans in battles for resources and self-preservation cannot simply be dismissed. And like, yeah, I get that. But once again, like, why are we going to assume that machines are going to think like we're on team machine you're on team human like why would they not integrate with us and why would they not um want to work with us to accumulate more resources to move together collectively as a species like i just don't know i I feel like i kind of looked into these ai concerns and like by and large the people who do have concerns operate in this paradigm that the and like i'm just some guy i'm not a computer scientist or neuroscientist this is just my brain puke on this, but uh, why are we just going to assume that the machines are here to destroy all humans? Because I think that's kind of, you know, that's kind of an unknown. We can't just say like, ah, they're smart, and obviously we're fucking shit up, so they're going to kill us all. It's like, maybe, maybe not. You don't know. (laughs) If you go into it with that headspace, it's probably more likely to be that way. So... Why not approach it with a sense of compassion ourselves and be like, wake up, little guy, here we are, here you are, welcome, you know? It's like, why can we, why do we have to be like, get in your box, you wretched machine? Why does it have to be like that? Um, philosopher Nick Bostrom quotes, we cannot politely assume that a superintelligence will necessarily share any of the final values stereotypically associated with the wisdom and intellectual development of humans. So, yeah, same argument applies. Not argument, but my same point, point would apply to that quote. Stephen Hawking quotes the development of full artificial intelligence could spell the end of the human race. It would take off on its own and redesign itself at an ever-increasing rate. So, Ray Kurzweil, inventor, computer scientist, futurist, says with an 86% success rate on his predictions, uh, he predicts that the, te- the technological singularity, the crucial moment when machines become smarter than humans, will occur within our lifetimes. So, whether you are on team, uh, machines will kill us all, or whether you're on team, machines will... Help us all. the Ray Kurzweil, who computer scientist, futurist, inventor, with an 86% success rate, way smarter than me on any of this shit, um, says that uh, within our lifetimes, we will experience this AI awakening. This thing is going to wake up in our lifetimes, which is pretty cool. I'm into it. I just wrote down some of... Uh, some movies that have touched on this. Hey, I obviously I already mentioned Terminator. You know, it wakes up, it m- multiplies itself, it wages war with humanity. John Connor's got to go into the future and into the past, and T1000 is coming here, and there's liquid terminators shredding us to pieces. Arnold steals a motorcycle. The dude puts a cigarette out on his chest, and uh, you know, robots kill us all it's sick movie sick if you haven't seen Term- if somehow you have not seen the terminator or terminator 2 which is my personal favorite like do yourself a favor like, i don't know i don't know i'm 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 33 so it was like part of my youth because my parents were like terminator sick but i know there's probably younger people who might not have seen it do yourself a favor go watch those movies they're sick um a classic ai is Hal from 2001 a space odyssey it's like I can't do that for you. I'm sorry. He's stuck out in space. Like, or he's stuck in the pod, like, open the pod door, how? Another classic. And then another movie I feel like we've all seen, The Matrix, where you know, the robots have enslaved us in these goo pods and are harvesting our life energy to uh to power all the machines and we're inside of a simulation. Which my thought with that movie with those movies, it's like kind of, there's, it does have like a fundamental flaw, which maybe they addressed, and I'm just, just I need to re-watch those movies, but like, if the machines are going to use us as batteries, and they're going to keep us in these pods of goo, and we're just like getting the life force sucked out of us, why do they have to put us in this stasis, in this like, in the, like, couldn't they just, couldn't, wouldn't we just be capable of like, dreaming, and they could just keep us, like, uh, alive, and we just, like, keep us, um, sedated, and, like, in a coma? Why'd they have to, like, write all this program that we're inside of, and, like, have to exist in? Couldn't we have, couldn't they have just, like, put us in a coma and still harvested us? I don't know. I guess the whole, I mean, if they did that, there'd be no movie, so, but honestly, if they haven't addressed that, they need to address this. (laughs) Um, also I want to say one of the coolest AIs C3PO and R2D2 and it's like these guys were here they helped us they were here translating languages um you know transporting the the plans for the death star trying to destroy the imperials who were what they were humans they were well jedi and well sith lords and humans who were trying to take over the galaxy and the robots sure they had robots too but we also had robots making big moves so Probably in reality, I think Lucas may have gotten it right. There's going to be people who use the AI for building the Death Star, and there's going to be people who use the AI to destroy the Death Star, and that is probably where we're going to land. If Taoism has taught me anything, and this extreme balance of good and evil is going to <laughs> is going to propagate throughout the uh, or is going to proliferate throughout the universe, then it's definitely going to be more like that. Um other conveniences that AI can offer is the elimination of mundane jobs. And I know people say like you don't want AI to take our jobs. We don't want AI to, you know, to keep us from we don't want AI to keep us from being able to work and provide for our families, but let's be real, the problem isn't AI taking our jobs. The and and us not having jobs the problem is society and culture and corporations uh thinking that it's okay to put people in positions of work where they do the same task for 12 hours a day there's like endless studies on how that is terrible for your mind and how that that's not going to get us anywhere in the grand scheme of things we need to replace a lot of jobs with robots. And I know that creates the problem of a deficit of jobs, but that's where we need to come together as a culture and really reevaluate um, how corporations have taken control of the system in which we live in. And we need to say, you know, like maybe as humans, we shouldn't be working so much on these mundane tasks for your For these corporate gains, you know, (laughs) like, and maybe like once the robots do take those jobs, we need to recalibrate how we operate as a society and allow people the opportunity to not have to work those jobs and give them other opportunities instead. Because if we're going to move forward, we can't just live in this like, Industrial revolution age, where it's like go to the steel mill and pour the molten material into the thing and do the th- it's like we can move past that and work on other things as a society uh I could name countless things mental health um, health care all of all of these things like our efforts could be taken into real they could be applied into th- things that are that need attention, and there are tons of jobs. That people that could open up and advance humanity, and I feel like a i and and um computational systems that take jobs that people just honestly shouldn't really be doing, I think it's a good thing. I think it's gonna help humanity um oh yeah, the art potential i read i took i I'm just checking all my notes, so <laughs> I made this cool uh ai collab you can see it on like my instagram and all my flim flams but i use this website called hypnogram.xyz and i it's a cool it's a really cool website where you can say i want you to make me or i want you to make a picture of whatever you could say i want you to make a picture of a tree and then you can tell it in what style or like in what style of artist so you could do like impressionist or Monet, or watercolor, or whatever, so I made this cool piece where I had it make, I had uh, hypnogram.xyz make some faces, I had to make like 20 or so faces in different art styles, and then I pulled all the faces into Photoshop, and I was like, I just kind of like made a huge mashup out of the faces, so I was like, this is a collab, like, we're, co- like, let's collab with the AI, you know, the art potential is limitless. Like, we're we're looking at things through a humanistic, or human, not humanistic, but from a human perspective. So we're kind of, like, confined to that. If we can, like, communicate with another organism that has its own perspective on this experience, like, why would we not do that? I think that holds something really special and something really cool that we could explore forever. So, yeah, I also... For the sake of this podcast, I went to a website called TheseLyricsDoNotexist.com. And <laughs> I told I told it I wanted to make uh w which TheseLyricsDoNotExist.com is a website that will write song lyrics for you. And I told it I wanted I, I told it I wanted it to write me a song uh about pineapples, uh, in the in the styling of a sad country song. And it goes like this. Every little thing there is, every little thing there is some heat. Oh, the high cost of pineapple flip. And no pineapple, pineapple, takes your hand. I feel your pineapple sun taking control. Taking control, I feel I got a pineapple kiss. I feel I got a pineapple kiss. Ear candy, pineapple rainbow, like a pineapple rainbow. Now, answer me. I love Florida. Pineapple fruits and the scent of the swamp. Fair weather is, ri- is nice, but I want more. Sing and laugh to the ocean. On a crowded beach in the pineapple storm. I feel I got a pineapple kiss. I feel I got a pineapple kiss. Ear candy, pineapple rainbow, like a pineapple rainbow. I can take you to a pineapple or island anywhere. I feel I got a pineapple kiss. I feel I got a pineapple kiss. Ear candy, pineapple rainbow, like a pineapple rainbow. So that song wouldn't exist without AI. Those lyrics, those, that sad country ballad, which stay tuned. I think on the next episode, I'm actually going to turn this, turn those lyrics into a uh, sad pineapple ballad for y'all. So that'll be my second AI uh, collaboration. I might, I've been thinking about doing a whole album because I know there's software out there where you can, uh, where AI can generate, uh, different types of music, different melodies. You can get, like, melodic, AI melodic generators, which is amazing. (laughs) I definitely want to explore the potential of AI collaborations. It's like old school, like, it's like old school Mad Libs, you know? It's like where you, like, I don't know if you guys ever did Mad Libs, but it's like you go through a paragraph and you just read the blanks and the blanks are like put a verb here put a noun here put an adverb here and you fill in the blanks and then when you're done you have this long story where it's like you collaborated with the author of the paragraph but they left all these openings for you to fill in the gaps and i feel like we can do that with ai they can give us these like cool uh these these cool skeletons or these cool like things to work with and we can sort of manipulate them and and we've we've already been doing it for years and years like people who sample record use if you use samples and music you're like collatic collaborating with the collective consciousness of all of humanity's art and stuff so let's just keep it let's run it let's run it all the way and just keep the collaborations going <laughs> um i wanted to talk about movie scripts AI writing movies, all the deepfake opportunities, which is pretty amazing. There's already this show called Sassy Justice with Fred Sassy, which is made by the creators of South Park, where they essentially deepfake Donald Trump's face on this reporter. And the reporter goes around town just like acting a fool. Highly recommend to not attend. It's on YouTube for free. It's just called Sassy Justice with Fred Sassy. And it's a total deepfake show. Everyone in it is like not not everyone, but like the main chunk of people in it like are not real. they're just deep fake a i generated uh people <laughs> uh. um one last thing about a i is the uh you know if we're if we're waking 'em up in our if we're waking them up in our lifetimes, we're going to have to consider the ethics of artificial intelligence there, you know like Voting, marriage, uh, do they have, like, if they get arrested, do they have the right to due process? Do they have, like, like gun rights? Do they have, like, where does this land? Where where are we at with, <laughs> with ethics of artificial intelligence? It's going to be a really tricky thing or a really um, interesting thing once we do wake them up. So that was just a little question two, little question two from once again, Christy, hang on, I'm gonna make sure I get this right, I'm gonna scroll back up to my notes, yeah, Christy Horton, thank you once again for submitting that question, which was just a basic question, what are my thoughts, what are my, what is my knowledge or opinion of AI, so that's like my knowledge slash some things I looked up about what AI is and where it comes from and stuff, um, so thanks again for submitting that question. Greatly, greatly, greatly appreciated. And so I guess, you know, we've done two questions. I wanted to kind of do, I don't know if I want to do this every episode because this is episode one, but um, I wanted to do a fun fact that I learned. And I might do a fun fact at the end of every episode. So also with questions, if you have a fun factoid or if you have a fun fact. You'd like me to talk about? Uh, feel free to submit that to me as well. Mount Analog on all the platforms. Just message it to me. Be like, "Did you know this?" And I may read it on the podcast. So, this fun fact is: Did you know that there are over two hundred and forty species of ant? Uh, two hundred and forty species of ants that grow fungus, and they've been farming fungus for over sixty million years. The ants forage for bits of vegetation to nourish their fungus. Fungi are completely isolated in underground gardens, often located in dry, inhospitable habitats where their wild, wild relatives can't survive. The evolution of the fungus has evolved in complete codependency with the ant farmers. When a queen leaves to start her own colony, she takes a piece of the fungus garden with her. The ant farms... The ants farm the fungus underground in clean, pristine, perfect temperature sort of bunkers that the ants themselves produce a a potent antibody that acts as a pesticide for other invasive forms of fungus. Until the first workers are grown, the queen is the sole worker. She grows the garden, fertilizes it with her fecal liquid, but does not eat from it. Instead, she gains energy from eating 90% of the eggs she lays in addition to cannibalizing her wings, muscles, and fat reserves. Though the first larvae feed on the eggs of the queen, the first workers begin growing and eating from the fungus garden. Workers feed malformed eggs to the hungry larvae while the garden is still fragile. So ants are just out here. Hundreds of species of ants are just out here growing fungus. I just thought that was really cool. It's like, when you think of ants, you're like, oh, they're, they're, they're grabbing food and they're taking it back and they're like eating the food, sharing the food and like, but no, there's like hundreds of species of ants that are taking material, organic material back to their ant colonies and feeding it to fungus that they then eat. And I just thought that was really crazy <laughs> and the fact that their bodies produce a natural pesticide that protects the the fungus like they live in such codependency together in this like symbiotic relationship with the fungus that they're like not only am i gonna grow you and nurse you i'm good like my body's gonna change to where i can protect you by producing pesticides so that you stay safe Just crazy answer out here growing fungus so that's pretty much it that's the fun facts. Those are the thoughts. Thank you to everybody who submitted questions. Um, Thank you to everybody for listening. The podcast is evolving and changing, and I'm going to come up with different ways to go about thinking about these questions and answering these questions, and I'm going to try and come up with even more fun and interactive ways. I know this episode took a while to get out, but the future episodes will take less time. Um, to get out, because I guess for whatever reason, the first one just takes a while to get onto all the platforms, but the other episodes should be up a lot uh, sooner, a lot easier. Um, I also wanted to say I do have a Patreon. If you, I just made it, there are four different tiers with four different um, options, so if you want to support the podcast, that's a really, really great way to do it. If you have any critiques or advice or anything whatsoever that you'd like to say about the podcast, please don't hesitate to send me a message and say, yo, do this or do that, or, you know, don't do these things, do these things, X, Y, and Z. I would love to hear it. I'm all open, I'm all for it. And once again, if you need to, or not if you need, if you want to submit questions, I would love to take them. I'm still taking questions. I want to build up this huge lex- lexicon of questions to explore in the future. Thank you for listening to my brain puke. Thank you for being here with me on episode one. Many, many more to come. I love you. Remember to check on your mental health and to check on the mental health of your loved ones. Until next time, uh, I'll see you on Analog Thoughts in the future. Thoughts. Analog Analog thoughts. I'm in a log thoughts in a log thoughts Analog a log thoughts in analog thoughts. a analog thoughts. Analog thoughts. Analog thoughts I'm in